0: So
1: loaded score. Oh. Does he sit second, man? No, I don't I think he does. I think Kevin Keegan oh. probably sits second.
0: Oh God, what a <laughs> scandal. Austin Eckler versus the cards. Go and fuck yeah. the lot of you. You're <laughs> <laughs> He's making me like I'm from
2: a cameo. Like I'm coming in and go, hand yeah. out the bag, England to win. Welcome to episode 38 of Loaded Sport, where today we're going to be reviewing the weekend's sporting action, including another edition of Kempe's Combat Corner. We're looking back at the penultimate week of this year's Six Nations, just how close Ireland are going to get to uh, completing the Grand Slam this year. We're also going to be previewing week seven of the Darts Premier League in Nottingham, as well as reviewing what happened last week in Liverpool. And of course, it's the start of the NFL free agency. As of yesterday, teams could start talking to players. And as of tomorrow, those signings can become official. To get us over the line and to discuss all that and the latest in the Premier League as well. Uh, first of all, welcome, Skin. How are you, mate? I am. I'm guessing you are, considering it's your nearly favourite time of the year.
0: Almost favourite time of the year, mate. We are in the week. I'll tell you what, mate, free agency in the NFL and the, and the new season
2: starting on the same day that season three of Ted Lasso is released. That's not a bad day, is it? It's not. all. I'm really excited to see uh, what's going to happen with Ted Lasso. Also, I suppose the free agency is going to be on my radar a little bit as well. Not that I expect us to do very much at all, despite Quandre Diggs' best efforts to turn our defense into a cap-turned-off, incredible team. So we'll see just what oh, happens. Oh, fucking hell yeah. Exactly. Uh, joining me also, I'm going to start by uh, asking him a question. And I did this last week, and this one's a little bit more personal because this past Sunday I went to the dry range. Pun? Sex? No, I've not said anything about that. You brought up yourself.
0: No, you said Surprise. personal, so I thought you were going to ask him oh, about his
1: pilot. Against also. karate? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, can,
2: how are you doing, mate? Mr. Was Dawson! That the it's not the question, but I feel like it's gone mm. off topic that I need Eww. to kind of revisit it afterwards. Let him speak.
1: I mean, it's you that's fucking speaking, mate, to be fair. Don't fucking blame Dawson. I was answering Mr. his Dawson.
2: question. He's done it again, Dawson. Did you hear him do it again then? <laughs> i <I'm> having <laughs> well, a good well, You're yeah, you fucking lined up with me, me, you two are. How are you doing, Kemp? Can I go? <laughs> Mr. Dawson,
1: man with, <laughs> 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 oh,
2: with the mic. How are we doing, Charles? Are we okay? I'm very good, thank you. Yourself? Oh, well, if I not
1: got interrupted every 10 <laughs> seconds, I'd be alright. But yeah, apart from that, mate, pretty good, thank you. Pretty, pretty good. What was the question good. you wanted to ask me, good sir? Right, I'm, all I'm all eyes. I'm all ears, I'm all, ears, I'm all holes.
2: Right, last week I spoke to you about the fact that I was going to go to the driving range this past weekend, and I Mm. went. It was uh, chaotic, considering the closing times that they all have on a Sunday, but I managed to get there. Closing
1: time, get your shit together and hit your golf shots when you fucking can.
2: Well, I did, and with the driver, I did not miss the ball once, which... Ooh. It's a win within itself. Um, What what sort of distance should I have been aiming for as a, an amateur beginner, a very first time hitting the ball with the driver?
1: With the driver?
2: Yeah. About three, 310 yards. Um, 50 yards.
1: Really? Yeah.
2: Okay, I'll take that. I was hitting over 152 on a, a bit of a regular basis. Was it going right? Was it going left? Was it going pretty straight? A lot of the time, it was going pretty straight, but there was the occasion it was mm. moving more one side and right and left. But it took mm-hmm. me a while to get into the swing of things. Yeah, there were a couple that weren't even reaching fifty, but then yeah. when I got pun into intended. the swing of it, Unintended. Yeah, Yeah, pun pun intended. Pun intended. Uh, when I got into the swing of it, it was going uh, over mm. one fifty-two. Unintended. So uh, yes, yes. Pun the intended. reason
1: I say fifty. The reason I say fifty yards is because when you first start playing golf, the trick is and the difficult thing is, is just to hit the ball. Um, it's such a foreign and strange movement when you' when you're playing golf that when you're very very first set up set up to hit your driver the most uh, important thing for you to do is to make sure you hit that ball so nice and slow nice and steady but you know for you saying there that you were sort of cracking 150 that's that's very 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 good and like you say you were you were going pretty straight as well so sounds like you've got a bit of a natural talent there adam and i'm looking forward to seeing you out on the golf course. Thank you very much.
2: Uh, We will start talking about the Premier League action that took place this weekend, which means, Skin, I am (coughs) going to come to you first because I suppose one of the biggest talking points was a dismissal in a Manchester United against Southampton game. Now, I've heard it from a lot of people that can be biased, some that are maybe a bit more neutral, discussing the sending off of Casemiro and whether it was um, a red card offence. defence. The fact that Manchester United are not appealing it probably gives a bit of an indication that they feel it was justified. What's your thoughts on it?
0: Uh, well, I want to say I don't think it was a red, but yeah, like you say, they've not appealed it. Blah 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 blah. I'll keep it short. There's no point going on. But the the still image of his of his foot in the shin naturally doesn't look great without any added context. But he's got he's got the ball. His foot's kind of bounced slash skidded off the top of the ball into his leg, so it's not like he's gone directly full force. Um, you know, studs into the shin. So I think it, it was originally given a yellow. It was it was VAR that you know that led to the overturn, and I think a yellow was fair based on the fact that he got the ball first. And but again, I could be saying that from a biased perspective. And the fact that clearly it hindered the momentum and the and the sort of game plan that they had for Southampton, which which led to a nil nil draw. So I don't know. You're probably better off asking as a bit more of an impartial opinion or or sharing your thoughts. But for me, I think a yellow was fair based on the fact that he did get the ball first and everyone's sharing that still image saying, oh, you can't say it's not a red based on that. Well, yeah, it is a red based on that, but one picture doesn't share the full context, especially when you're not watching the game. But yeah, what what can you do? It's, It's a bit late now.
2: I'm going to go and say in the opposite direction that it was a red card because I felt that he'd lunged into it his fo- his foot had gone off the ground which means that this kind of I know he's losing control of like where he's he's putting his body at that point but when you lunge in and go off the ground you're kind of asking for at least committing a foul, and it's very rare that you go in for those challenges and don't commit a dangerous tackle. And then he's gone over the ball. Yes, he's got the ball first, but his foot has rolled over the top of the ball straight into the shin. The idea of if you're going in for those sort of challenges, you've got to win the ball first, but you've got to get the entirety of the ball. Otherwise, it does become a dangerous challenge. And I think that might be the thought process that they went through to turn that into a red card as opposed to it being a yellow. So my opinion is it is it was a sending off. So I, I kind of understand where they were coming from.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Ken, what do you think, mate?
1: Yeah, I feel like I've got the casting vote on this one, to be fair, loaded sport wise. Um, it was reckless, let's be honest. It, I think we'll all agree that it was pretty reckless. Um, Casemiro is a passionate player who, who, you know, I always say to you, Dawson, in that position, you're getting a yellow card, you're doing your job. Um, yeah, yeah. That challenge particularly was very unfortunate for Casemiro because I've watched it a few times and he gets the ball. He gets hundred percent of the ball, but then his foot kind of bounces off the ball and then yeah. onto the Southampton's player's leg uh, with studs showing, which means it's a red card by the letter of the law, the ladder. Oh, you've got to say, yeah, you've got to say it is, it is a sending off. It is a sending off, but it's very unfortunate and it's not, there's no malice in it. He's not trying to hurt the player. It's not a Roy Keane on offing Harland challenge. Yeah, um, it's just it's just unfortunate. It's a little bit reckless. It's a little bit silly, uh, and unfortunately, you, you know, it, it is a sending off. So again, you're not going to look at it and think, you know, he could have killed the boy, quoting the great Sir Alex Ferguson. But at the same time, you, you can't you can't put challenges in like that recklessly and not expect some sort of uh, comeuppance from it so yeah he's going to be out for I think it's four games I think it is four games suspension I think yeah so obviously it's going to be a big miss he's been a pivotal part of Manchester United season this season so far so um, yeah uh, we'll we'll see how they go and uh, we'll watch that one very closely but for me yep red card unfortunately
2: it makes things a bit tougher now for Manchester United being a player down because is this right in saying it's also FA Cup competition it is isn't it
0: Yeah, it's all domestic cup competitions and leagues, so he'll miss the game on Sunday against Fulham.
2: So it makes things a bit tougher for United in the fact that they are still, okay now outside chances of winning the Premier League, but still going for the FA Cup, still going well in Europe. They've still got the opportunity now to to go out there and win more silverware. But with such an important piece, like you said, Skin, now out for four games, it kind of changes that process, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, but... I suppose the good thing is Betis on Thursday is a chance to rest some players that will replace him. Sunday, FA Cup, you imagine, will be a full-strength squad. So, yeah, it's a shame. Four red cards. You could see... uh, Four red cards. Four game ban. You could see how absolutely gutted he was. Like Kemp said, there was no malice or intention. Even the Southampton players were sort of consoling him. And the player that he tackled went up to him as he was walking off the pitch to say, look, I, I know... You know, I know there wasn't anything intentional there. It was just one of those unlucky things that happen every once in a while. But fortunately, the player wasn't injured from it. Yeah, it's just a bit, it's a bit gutting, really. The
2: thing is, though, you don't see many where they turn around and say, "No, that was definitely a challenge that I'd intent to go and hurt somebody." So yeah,
0: but you know what I mean, though. It's like it's it's clear he's gone for the ball. He's not gone in like hard or
2: like too rough or anything, has he? No, nope, that is fair. Uh, Let's stick within the theme of talking Premier League then. As we know, Arsenal and Manchester City are at the thick of things, fighting for the Premier League Championship. Um, On Saturday, Manchester City made the trip to Crystal Palace, and if it wasn't for an Erling Haaland penalty, they would have only taken a point away against them. I mean, Crystal Palace, again, you've told us they haven't won a game in 2023 across any competition that they've played in. Manchester City fighting tooth and nail to keep that gap as little as possible uh, up against Arsenal the current Premier League leaders City didn't look like a side that was threatening for the title though did they?
0: No but we've said it before and it applies to them it's the kind of performance that does make champions United drew against Palace the other week with that late free kick and there there would have been other seasons where a team like an Arsenal or a Tottenham would have struggled to get that winner and yes it was a penalty but they ground it out and got the result and you don't need to win Every game comfortably, two, three, four nil. There are going to be games that you have to scrape, like uh, Arsenal Bournemouth last week, and you, you really have to grind it out. So, that's one of those. Crystal Palace really haven't played necessarily bad, they've just struggled to get a win on the board. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's still a good result for City. They came away with three points, which they would have intended to do, and I'm sure they don't care whether it was one nil and a penalty or a three, four nil victory.
2: And Kemp, I suppose it's only fair to ask you your opinion, considering the fact that Manchester City are uh, your title favourites, your choice to walk away as Premier League champions at the end of this.
1: Yeah, um, it, it was a scruffy performance. It wasn't ideal. It wasn't, you know, like you've just said, it wasn't the best performance from City, and they've not been at the best, you know, for the lot of the season. But ultimately, it's three points on the board, and in the record books, we'll go back and look at the game. And it does not matter. I'll quote the famous Neil Warnock now. It does not matter if it's a knob ending, you know, ninety-first minute, um, as long as that ball lands it back at net, then then that's it. It's a, it's, a, it's a goal. They kept a clean sheet. It's one nil. It's three points, and and it keeps them uh, in in touching distance with Arsenal. So, yeah. It's the hallmark of champions. Arsenal have done it a few times this season, where they've ground out a, a sticky result and they've won it. So, wh- what more can you say? It's um, it's it's a champions performance. Hopefully, in my case, uh, and it keeps things interesting at the top of the table. But I think the next few weeks is going to be very pivotal. You know, Arsenal didn't do themselves any favors in the first leg of the Europa League against Sporting. I'm sure they would like to have come back to the Emirates, been able to play a bit of a rested team. Uh, for the action coming up in the next few weeks in the Premier League, but they only got a 2-2 draw, and unfortunately, life's a shithouse. They're going to have to, uh, if they do want to go for the Europa League, they're going to have to play a bit of a, a, a strengthened team and risk some players. So, it's interesting, it's like I've said before, we've wanted an interesting title race for a few years that maybe didn't involve Liverpool or City, and we've got it. So, let's just enjoy the ride, boys, eh?
2: Yeah, I, I'm. I'm as a, somebody that's going for Arsenal to win this. I just want to ask you the question on uh, the signing that they made in in the summer of Leandro Trossard. A lot of question marks were whether. I and mean, in
1: January, didn't
2: they? Did I say, not say January? I thought I said Jesus the last transfer summer. window. Sorry, the last transfer window in January. Mm. Uh, they signed Trossard. So, without Jesus, they needed to try and get some more reinforcements in attack. Trossard three assists against Fulham. It's a fantastic uh, one-man performance in that game, but. He started to settle into that Arsenal side very well and he looks the part, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a good performance. You had three assists, like you say. very, very good. Um, He plays out on the wing and in in that Arsenal team, you've got your likes of Saka Martinelli that will come off that wing and and try and cause some damage and try and score a few goals and and they both have done. Um, Trossard's stats so far since he's been at Arsenal, he's had nine appearances in the Premier League and scored one goal. Now, I don't know how many that is, you know, coming off the bench and stuff like that. So I don't know how fair it is to say that that he's not had an impact. But hopefully for his sake and for Arsenal's sake as well, he does start settling into the team a little bit. And, you know, it, it looks like it's a shrewd bit of business. They did need to have that strength in depth, as we mentioned, sort of going down the stretch. So, you know, Trossard needs to do his job by just literally standing in when when one of their first team players is not not quite fully fit. So if he can repeat his performance that he uh, he put in the other night, they won't have a problem with that. But yeah, hopefully for, for Arsenal and for Trossard, he, he does start to settle in because those stats, you know, they don't exactly knock your socks off but, you know, stats don't tell the full story all the time. So, you know, best of luck to him and hopefully he can, he can do it for Arsenal when it counts.
2: Hopefully, so, and hopefully it'll see Arsenal over the line to win uh, the Premier League. I'm going to ask you then, Skin, because I know you've been wanting me to ask you something along the lines of Buxton. Um, in reality, their manager has just won manager of the month in the National League North. On Football Manager, they're at the second bottom position in the National League North table, and I'm sure you're getting close to the sacked. Are you feeling the pressure?
0: No, next.
2: There we go. That's it. I've asked you a question on Buxton. Um, we will move on in just a moment's time then to uh, Kempi's Combat Corner. But first, we need to look back onto the listener lock-in results.
0: Tell you what, lads, we've got a new joint leader up in the listener lock-in. And also, our first ever entrant to get the lock, scorer and wildcard correct. Chris has had an absolutely fantastic uh, entry there, so uh, he, he joins Paul Martin at the top, we'll start off with, with his results, he went Man City for the lockers, as we discussed, he, he scraped it there, he had Landstaff, the uh, loaded sport favourite, and considering I back him, he decided to go and score, uh, a couple I think um, Bournemouth, as his wild card to win away, uh, sorry, win at home to Liverpool, off the back of that late defeat to Arsenal and off the back of Liverpool beating Man United 7-0 tell you what, lads, it were a bold shout, weren't it? But
2: it it, it hadn't half come in. It seems like there's some games and some teams in the Premier League at the moment you just look at and you think, you're then back. Because, like you said there, on the back of a 7-0 win against Man United, yeah, Liverpool seem like they're going to be the favourites against Bournemouth, who I believe Liverpool beat 7-0 the last time the two sides met, I think. Maybe actually 9-1, thinking about it. But the thing of the Premier League at the moment is just it's any side can seem to be anyone. I think I saw it where it was five points that separates 12th from 20th. So we've got a huge battle going on for relegation. We're in March. We've got two sides fighting for the Premier League title. We've got a number of teams fighting for fourth place. Like you say, Skinny, it's just the most exciting league at the moment.
0: When did I say that?
2: You say it all the time.
0: No, oh, yes, yeah, the most competitive league in the world, mate, for, for good reason. Same just thing, isn't it? Exciting?
2: Competitive?
0: I don't remember ever saying exciting, mate. Okay, but, you say yeah. competitive all the time. Yeah, 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 that's it, mate. So, yeah, what a result for for Bournemouth. And, yeah, who would have seen that coming after the results of previous weekend? But fair Chris. play to them. And, uh, it, well, yeah, Chris is is the right answer there. Uh, yeah, Chestfield 2 beat Yeovil 2-1. It was a 1-1 draw. Aggie? I suppose it's for you to talk us through this one. Couple of positive results after a winless run of ten games looked like, you know, two away wins looked like they were starting to get back on track. They get back down to the Technique Stadium against a team that they should be beaten by all accounts, and they and they limp to a one-one draw. What's that mean?
2: It's just one of them games, isn't it? You, you, at the minute, I'm just happy to say that we're back within playoffs. We, we could go to, I think it's just three points off Woken if we win our game in hand at the moment, and we could then get home advantage in the semifinals of the playoffs, which is going to be huge if we can grab that, considering such a downfall that we've had. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll take the points wherever we can get them at the moment. We've got a couple of new signings that are in, of course, McCallum. We've now got Dallas. Um is it Leparta is pronounced is supposed to be joining us anytime soon. Uh, Kemp's so man. touch wood that still happens yet. Yeah. Gemp would love to see that happen. Um, as would I. So yeah, hopefully he can join in and add that extra bit that we need just to get us over the line. And this time round, we can go and win the playoffs.
0: Nah. <laughs> um, we had Leicester nil nil, which went out the window after about, well, very early on in the game, what looked like a fantastic first half ended in um, a Chelsea win, weren't it? Are they, are they,
2: are they 1-3-1, back on track, yeah. was it? A... I wouldn't say yeah, back on track, they... but they won
0: 3-1. Yeah, beat Dortmund in the week. Maybe something's clicking, but we thought that about Liverpool and then they lost, so we'll see what this weekend brings. And then he had his second team, Arsenal, to win 3-1 and again, can't really get much closer. 3-0, Arsenal 1, um, led by, as you say there, the, the three assists from Trossard, so... Yeah, great pick, but not quite there. So, yeah, Chris joins Paul at the top of the leaderboard on three out of six. And we've got Joe Land joining us this week. Um, and I, I believe he's going to be joining us for for the uh, combat corner to discuss, as I'm sure you're very excited about, Kemp, UFC 286 right here in the O2 ooh, Arena in London.
1: Ooh, so, the UFC has landed in the UK. Here we
0: go. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of discussion about that uh, later on this week in the preview show. Um, on to our picks. I'm going to be honest, lads, I probably should have ended with Chris and just swept ours under the corner, but I fucked that up. Um, None of us got a scorer right. None of us got a wild card right. Um, scorers, I had Salah, who missed a penalty, so I can't really get much closer than that, but is what it is. Aggie, you had Rashford, who had a pretty tame shot early in the first half and then was put through by Bruno Fernandes, but an awful first touch put the ball right into the keeper's hands. Probably would have buried that if he was through one-on-one based on recent form. Um, And Kemp, you had Ashley Barnes for Burnley, who despite scoring three, he didn't score any of them. Uh, Wild cards, I had Bradford, who got a 1-1 draw, but it's not enough. Aggie, you had Bolton at home to Ipswich, and Ipswich won 2-0. And Kemp, like myself, you had Villa, who drew 1-1 as well. So your fantastic run of wild cards is over for a little while. But overall for the year, you're still in a fantastic position. Um And for the locks, Aggie, you had Man United, who, as we know, drew nil-nil. Not helped at all by that first half red card. I had Burnley, top of the championship versus bottom of the championship. Absolutely no reason to have to justify it. And they won very comfortably. And Kemp, you went back to the well, which was Notts County, and a Saturday night kickoff didn't get scared off by them letting you down a couple of weeks ago in the same slot. And again, got a pretty comfortable win for you Uh, to give you one out of three alongside me this week. And Aggie, back to uh, usual standards, you got a big fat donut. But yeah, not a great week for us lads. Two out of nine combined. Make sure we're doing our own work this week and make sure we we get it right. Four FA Cup fixtures to potentially choose from as well. But we never know, Joe might take those and uh, we have to stick to the usual league football. But yeah. Not the best week, lads. What, what do you reckon? What, what are you going to do differently
1: this week to make sure it's better? Get them right. That'll work. I don't yeah, really think
2: that's it's pretty really much to be the... Wrong, uh, the,
1: that's the uh, yeah, that's, that seems to be the, the, uh, the method, doesn't it? I mean, I, I look at mine, I look back at mine now and I think Ashley Barnes is probably the only one that I'm kicking myself about. Villa went fairly close, they went one nil up. Um, but but yeah, it's just one of them things, isn't it? You've just got to rebound, come back stronger, baby. Yeah,
2: yeah. I don't have much of a choice on the back of mine. United to beat Southampton seems pretty much a given and Rashford to score at the moment seems pretty much a given. So I'm a bit unfortunate yeah. on mine. But we go again this week and yeah. we go again on Thursday. We will be back in yeah. just a few moments' time though for another edition of Kempy's Combat Corner. Welcome back to episode 38 of Loaded Sport. It is now time for another edition of Kempi's Combat Corner. That's as like good as you that get.
1: A lot. No, I like that a lot. I really do what, like that. Yeah. Welcome back. What they say
2: other week? What they say other week? That uh, I sounded like I was in a musical at the end, didn't I? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I it. Lie, I like that. It's, you it's so. good.
1: There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. And there was nothing wrong with Merab dvalish Village performance against Peter Yarn in the UFC this last Saturday night. So welcome back to another edition of Kempe's Combat Corner. I hope we are all well in this Combat Sports uh, Talking Monday. Um, and it's a very, very special week for, for the UFC in particular, as we will discuss more on the preview episode on Friday. But the UFC has officially landed in Old Blighty. The UFC is in the UK and we're ready to crack on with UFC 286 this weekend. But before we get there, before we get there, we've got a we've got a card to talk about very very briefly. Last weekend, again, Peter Yan versus Mirab Dvalishvili, and then politics unfortunately is going to make its way into Kemp's Combat Corner as we will discuss the latest with the Tyson Fury and Alexander Usyk undisputed heavyweight championship of the world boxing match that may or may not at this point happen. So. Very quickly to round up the uh, events of last Saturday evening, the 11th of March, we saw a um, pivotal bantamweight fight between Petion, Yarn rather, and, and Merab Vili. And like I said on the uh, on the preview show, this really was a fight to determine the potential number one contendership for the uh, for the bantamweight championship of the world but well, that's going to be an interesting that's going to be a very interesting thing and we'll get to it when we talk about the fight but opening up the main card was uh, Mario Bautista he beat Cla- Guido Caniati apologies that was a bit of a struggle there in the pronunciations um, by submission in round 1 but very very dominant and and hopefully um in the uh, in in the bantamweight division much like the main event um he 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 there's a lot more to come from from Mario Bautista um, five out of six total strikes landed. So again, it, the fight didn't go particularly long. Um, uh, he, he landed three out of the four takedowns that he attempted and he s- s- attempted one submission and he landed it, which was great news for him. Um, now we move on to a Namaga made of, being submitted, which is absolute. Uh, sorry, decision. I thought it was a submission. A decision, yeah, decision which I thought yeah. that was very, very scary uh, for a second. That somebody actually submitted a, a, a Um Jonathan Martinez defeated Said Namagamaydov, the cousin of the former UFC undisputed undefeated light- lightweight champion of the world, Habib Um it, it was more of, I don't know. It was a strange one. This one. I, I have watched the highlights of the fight. Um, Total strikes, 101 for Namaga 78 for Jonathan Martinez, his opponent who won. Um, 47 significant strikes for Namaga 38 for Jonathan Martinez. And he didn't land any takedowns and Namaga landed three out of nine attempted. So again, I I think it was just sort of Jonathan Martinez dominated well not dominated but squeaked two rounds and and the mega made off pretty much dominated the other one so difficult in that circumstance and there has been some discussion over judging in the ufc and in mma should it be the same as boxing should it be a 10 point must scoring system it's a difficult one to uh to decide but i'm sure uh you know more intelligent and educated heads in combat sports will come to that decision rather than me uh, the co-main event of the evening was a well, it was a, a, a scheduled rescheduled fight. It was a catchweight between Nikita Krylov and Ryan Spann, um, and Nikita Krylov uh, won by submission very very early on in the fight. Um, didn't take him long, but he landed twenty four strikes and seven of those significant. Two takedowns, uh, two attempts and two landed with two submission attempts and he submitted Ryan Spann, like I say, in the very first round. Um, Apologies, that wasn't the co-main event. The co-main event was Alexander Volkov versus Alexander Romanov, um, the Battle of the Alexanders and Alexander the Great Volkov. I'm going to nick Volkanovsky's uh, name there. Won by TKO in round number one. And uh, hopefully that's going to push him towards a potential heavyweight shot in the future for Alexander Volkov or getting back in the mixer. We then got to the main event, which was, was crazy and a little bit heartbreaking in, in some respects, to be honest with you. Listen to this start. Now, you don't have to be an MMA fan to appreciate this stat. Merab Dvalishvili, he attempted... Forty-nine takedowns, forty-nine takedowns he attempted in a five-round fight. In twenty-five minutes, he attempted forty-nine takedowns. That's nearly two takedowns a minute that he uh, that he attempted, and and he landed eleven of them, um, landing one hundred and forty-seven significant strikes, and defeating Peter Yarn by decision. Um, since Peter Yarn got disqualified against Aljamain Sterling and lost his title, a lot of people have being fearful of the slide. And it looks as though that may potentially be happening. So very, very disappointing for Piotr. And he's obviously going to have to go back to the uh, to the drawing board on that one and, and figure out a way to get back in that wing column. A lot of people had him beating Sean O'Malley in, in what was a, a very close decision. But unfortunately, this one wasn't close at all. And Merab Dvalishvili came out the winner. Now, this sort of throws up a potential issue Um, in in this division Dawson and I'm going to come to you with this with with your opinion of this so Mm -hmm. Mirab Dvalishvili he trains out of a team in New York City uh, Long Island, New York to be specific um, called Sarah Longo and that team is headed up by Ray Longo and Matt Mm -hmm. Sarah, the former UFC welterweight champion of the world, knocked out George Saint-Pierre the Main uh, bantamweight who trains at that gym, however, is the current UFC bantamweight champion of the world, Aljamain Sterling. So, Miral mm-hmm. Dvalishvili has just beaten Pete Yarn by a very clear points decision and effectively has kind of put himself in a position to be the number one contender for the UFC bantamweight championship of the world. Aljamain Sterling fights Henry Cejudo next. If he wins, the logic would dictate that these two would then fight. However, Duval Vili has come out because they are teammates and they are because they are literally best friends. I was going to say in real life then, but they are best friends. Duval Vili has come out and said he doesn't want to fight for the title while Aljamain Stirling is the champion. Now, as we've said and as we've talked about in, in combat sports in general, you know, it's a very short shelf life and it is a very short career. What do you think to, to a decision like that that's made? And, and do you think vili is potentially sacrificing a title run to to make way for his, for his teammate, Aljamain Sterling? It depends
0: how you look at it, doesn't it? It's clearly a respect thing, which I respect. It's, I suppose, him saying, it's tough. Him saying, I won't go for that title as long as he holds it. Well, how long is he going to hold it for? he he will probably have a better idea of that of what he's capable of more than a lot of people have, like you say training in the same gym as him he'll know a how often he's planning to fight b how likely he is to keep holding that title so you know is it going to be 3 months before he he gives himself the ability to have a shot or is it going to be 3 years or whatever it might be in between so
1: it's i, I
0: want to say it's a, a gamble decision isn't it? but it's a, gamble, a massive it really gamble, is a it's a gamble, massive gamble.
1: Yeah, because you're in a position where, like I say, you know, Aljamain Sterling's fighting Henry Cejudo this year. Um, I think it's in the summer. And yeah. you know, if, if Aljamain Sterling wins that fight, you know, you would imagine there's going to be another six months where Aljamain's out of out of action before he goes back into, you know, sort of defend his belt again. Dvalish really, he's, he's going to want to stay active. So you know, is it going to be two fights? Is it going to be three fights? Is it going to be four fights before he gets to fight for the title? Before Aljamain Sterling either vacates or or loses the title. And, and by which point, you know, it's it's the UFC's a killer's row, no matter what division you're in. You know, there might be a yeah. young kid, an up and coming contender. He might fight O'Malley that might just manage to stay away from his wrestling and outstrike him and lose his opportunity that way. So it's a difficult one. And, and you look at that and you think, you know, it's great loyalty because I understand why he's done it. It's not just because they're, te- you know, teammates and friends you know, Aljamain Sterling and, and Merab Dvalishvili, they prepare each other for each other's fights, you know they are literally training partners, they're the same weight, in the same division fighting the same opponents, you know, giving each other reads and and, and ideas Um, so I get it but at the same time, Dvalishvili is is showing a lot of respect there in the sense of not going for the title because Aljo holds it and, and potentially sacrificing his own title you know, run, which it's not just a run with the belt, you know. When the, when you're a champion in the UFC, you get a percentage of the pay per view, you get more money, you get this, you get that, and he's sacrificing it for Aljo, and it's it's a massive, massive sacrifice, Dawson. Even if it is your your close friend and training partner, it is how much of the you know sort of what
0: percentage of the element is. Oh, I, I don't know if I can beat him. You don't know, do you?
1: Like there's mm-hmm. going to be
0: so many little things that we don't see or we aren't aware of. They're going to know so much more having spent lot of hours together so yeah it's interesting I suppose like like I said earlier if it goes on for X amount of time will he change his mind because like you said you only get a certain amount of time and does he think right I need to actually take a shot of this otherwise I'm never going to get to do that so you, you know next fight is already set in stone so it's not like he's up next type thing so it, it will depend but if he does win he is up next so yeah, be interesting to see, but I suppose you've got to get the summer out of the way first, and then see what happens next. But surely that doesn't last forever if if nobody's dropping titles.
1: Yeah, that's it. And and you, you talked about it there, and you touched on it before. The amount of respect that they must have for each other is is phenomenal. So um, yeah, all due respect and, and hats off to uh, to Murad Vardishvili for 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 a fantastic victory at the weekend. And, and ultimately sacrificing a potential title shot because it is your close friend and training partner who holds the belt. We go now from a situation where combat sports has shown a lot of respect, and two fighters have shown a lot of respect to each other to such a degree that you know they're, they're not going to fight each other for it. Um, these two might not fight each other either, but I don't think it's because of respect. Dawson, of course I'm talking about the Tyson Fury And Alexander Usyk potential um, world heavyweight championship undisputed fight um, in the squared circle in the boxing arena. This is a mess. It's an absolute mess. So just to give people a bit of context, who are not quite up to speed with the uh, with the story, for the past few weeks, uh, since to be fair, since um, Tyson Fury beat um, uh, the Dillian White um He, he got sick at ringside. He got Joe, Joe, Joe Joyce at ringside as well, and and they were sort of going at it and saying, "If it's not you, it's you." And I'll fight him for free, and I'll do this, and I'll do that, and I don't mind fighting. He, he's an overblown middleweight. I'll beat him for free as long as tickets are free and all this shite. And it's been this, and it's been that, and you know they were originally going to fight in Saudi Arabia or somewhere in the Middle East, and then that didn't happen, and then you know. Now it's at Wembley and it's April the 29th, which is only six, seven weeks away or whatever whatever it is. And, and, and then you get Tyson Fury coming on social media today saying, well, or, or the other day saying, right, it needs to be a 70-30 split in my favour, which is absolutely ridiculous because technically, Alexander Usyk holds more belts than he does. But Usyk being a fighting man that he is has said, all right, as long as you donate some of your purse to Ukraine, then that's fair, that's fine, we'll do it. Tyson Fury's then come out today and said, no rematch clause. You know, your your lawyers and your, your team are trying to put a rematch clause in. We don't want a rematch clause. We're not doing a rematch clause. This is it. This is one and done. Usyk's then come out again and called his bluff and said, yep, that's fine. No rematch clause. And now it's all gone quiet on the Western front. <sighs> It's, what it's absolutely bizarre. Frank Warren's come out on Talk Sport this evening. Tyson Fury's premier saying that it's definitely going to happen. Alexander Krasik, Alexander Usyk's, um manager, came out on Talk Sport a little bit earlier in the day saying it's probably not going to happen. <sighs> Dawson, what the fuck is going on?
0: I'll be honest, mate. As soon as you mentioned it, and I knew we were going to talk about it anyway, I literally rolled my eyes because I just cannot be fucking arsed to talk about it. And I know that's not great for a sports podcast where we're supposed to discuss the the sort of main issues across all sports or, or across the main sports, but it's it's a fucking joke. It's a circus. I I say I used to, and there are still elements of it that I do, but I used to have so much respect for what Tyson Fury did in terms of his comeback, his battle against addiction and mental health to, to get back to the top of the game like he did on that journey. You, you can't knock that, but... It just seems to me... You said it yourself about the 70-30 split. It's it's outrageous. So, has he just done that in the the hope that Usyk would go, well, that's fucking ridiculous. I would never do that. For Fury to then be able to go, oh, well, I offered you the fight and you didn't want it. But because Usyk's an absolute fucking bad man and does not give a fuck and has just gone, all right, then let's go. And he's all of a sudden, oh, well, rematch call and stuff like that. It's just... It's silly. It's pantomime. It just says that Fury should... Go back to the WWE where he's done a little couple of bits and and play games there because that's the kind of thing that he seems to want to do. And like I said, mate, I just can't be bothered talking about it because tomorrow there'll be a little bit of a a different story. The next day there'll be a different story. Then Thursday it'll change again. And then in two weeks' time, we'll still be no closer to having this fight despite yesterday or over the weekend. Mm. You know, it's seemingly being agreed for for the end of April, and, and now mm. it's completely up in the air again over what seems like absolutely fucking nothing. It's so like I say, yeah. it's a farce. On paper, it just seems like Fury set, uh, is proposed something absolutely ridiculous, and hope that Usyk would decline it so he can pin the blame on him for it not happening. And it's blown up in his face, and now it's something else. So it just makes Fury look silly, and I just can't be bothered. If the fight happens, I'll be interested. If it doesn't, I can't be asked talking about all the shit that's
1: happening in between because it's just stupid. And, and, and we mentioned it earlier off air um, in, in one of our conversations. It's, it's such a problem in boxing. It's, it's something that they can't, you know, until the promoters start grabbing the bull by the horns or organisations or people come together and start working together you know, it's a problem that's never going to get solved. You know, the only reason that this is even still a conversation is like, you know, in your words, that Usyk is an absolute bad man. You know, that that is the only reason that this is still a conversation because Tyson Fury has initially come out um, and said, right, 70-30 in my favour, I'm this, I'm that, I'm dogs bollocks, I'm this, I'm that. And you're absolutely right in what you say. Tyson Fury was expecting Usyk to turn around and say, oh no, that's ridiculous, we're not doing that, I've got three belts and you've got two. He's not. He's, he's come out and he said, all right then, that's fine, we'll do that, no problem. And the reason that he said that is because he's made of different fucking shit. He's coming yeah. off the battle lines at the minute. You know, mummy is, is absolutely, obviously it's important to everybody, but in Alexander Usyk's life at the moment, his country is being invaded. He's he yeah. literally on a few months ago was fighting in the war. He he came out of fighting in the war to prepare for the second anti-Joshua fight, which he won. You know, he's got a family, he's got kids, he's got people that he needs to look after, but ultimately he's in a position where Money's not the most important thing, it's not the driving factor. Alexander Usik wants to be known as one of the best heavyweights of all time and one of the best pound for power fighters of all time. He wants to be undisputed cruiserweight champion of the world, which he was, and now he wants to be undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. And you can't you, you can't sit here and knock him for what he's wanting and what he's saying and what he, he wants to do because it's so admirable what he's come out and said. You know, the fact that he's said, Yeah, that's fine, 70 30, no problem. And then Tyson Fury's come back with something else. So oh, no rematch clause, no rematch clause. It turns out now that a lot of sources close to the situation who are neutral, who aren't in u Six camp or Fury's camp, have actually said that Fury's team was the initial team to put a rematch clause in. So make of that what you will. It's, it just seems for some reason, and I don't know why, that Tyson Fury doesn't want this fight. It That's the only conclusion that I can come to. Has he seen... Yeah his fight against Joshua and thought, oh, he's too awkward. He, he might, he might frustrate me. He might outbox me. You know, for me personally looking, taking this completely out of the equation and looking at these two fighters as fighters as what they are. I think Tyson Fury wins this fight. I think him and Usyk are very similar caliber in terms of skill and in terms of um, quality, but, you know, Tyson Fury's just got, you know, the, the, the physical advantages, the height and the reach. And ultimately when two, you know two men, two women, two people are, are pitted against each other in combat sports, and th- th- their skill level is equal, the bigger person will win. Um, yeah. but I-, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure anymore because if this fight does ever happen, which I'm very doubtful that it will, I-, I don't know if that is the case anymore because you know, Usyk wants it, it's quite obvious that Usyk wants this fight, and Tyson Furies he's initially come out and said one thing and then he's come out and said another and he seems like he's just trying to put hurdles in the way. I suppose the the problem that you've got is that there's a deadline on this. You know, If they don't come to some sort of agreement in the next few days, the WBC will order a mandatory defence for Tyson Fury and the WBA will order a mandatory defence for Alexander Usyk. So it needs to get done really quickly. Um, I suppose the question, the next question for you, Dawson, is that Usyk's now come out and said right, that's fine, 70-30, that's fine Rematch closure, yet, no problem, that's fine and he's come out on social media and he's done it in a very public way like Tyson yeah. Fury did what leg has Tyson Fury now got to stand on? Because surely if he turns around now and puts something else in the way the vast majority of the boxing media and boxing fans are going to just sit there and think well, you're a, you're a joke well, I, I think they're there already, aren't they?
0: after after this episode. I, I don't think that if something else happens that's gonna make that decision. I think people are already there. Why should people care? The they had the chances happen with AJ backwards and forwards and Eddie Earn said recently, I think it was over the weekend actually over the weekend they went a little bit in into the, the Fury camp and, and their negotiations and he said yes AJ gets stick, but he's always asking right who's next? Who am I fighting? And then mm-hmm. when it comes to Sort of negotiating with Fury, it just seems like it's it's jumping over hurdles. So, not Fury at his peak has done absolutely phenomenal things. And I know we spoke earlier in our group chat about who's had the who's got the better resume, Fury or AJ. And and I've said before my thoughts on AJ. I do think he's a little bit overrated in terms of, well, just everything really. But we don't need to get into that now. But I just AJ's fought him. He's fought everyone that's been put in front of him. And from what I can see. There's not really a fight that he hasn't had that has been down to him being too sort of um, un- unreasonable or anything in terms of demands. So, well, in 2018, I think I, yeah, I think, I think I said, think in interest, at that point,
1: yeah. In the interest of fairness, it does have to be said that in 2018, he was offered a fight with Deontay Wilder that he did turn down that they didn't get back to him on. Um, whether that was contracts or or whatever i know eddie hearn's excuse for it before was um that they never sent over an official contract i I don't know um there have been a lot of people in boxing media and in boxing circles that have said that joshua didn't want that fight at the time and i can't really say that I blame him but yeah apart from that you are right in what you say Joshua doesn't seem to have have turned down too many opponents in his his search for getting that goal back and he could have quite easily after that Usyk fight that first Usyk fight say I want to take a few warm-ups and then I'm going to come back and and, and have another go at Usyk I suppose my biggest argument for, for, for Joshua not being much better actually is the fact that he's fighting Jermaine Franklin next now yeah. I've discussed it before. Jermaine Franklin's thirty fourth in the world rankings. You know he's he's not he's really really not a good fighter at all. He's 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 a, he's a he's a journeyman's journeyman, and it's it's a it's a it's a straightforward fight for Joshua, but it's it's very very straightforward. So. Could he have fought somebody a little bit more complicated? Could he have fought somebody maybe to give him a little bit more of a test next time out, probably, in terms of Joshua? But we'll get to that when when the fight is around the corner, which is in a few weeks' time. But, yeah, you look at Tyson Fury, and he's undefeated. He's, he's the unified um, WBC and Ring Magazine heavyweight champion of the world. Um, never been beaten Never been, you know, stopped. He's, he's never lost. And, and what else can you say about a boxing career? You know, he's, he's still got his O after fighting the likes of Klitschko, Wilder three times, Dillian White. You know, all these, all these world class fighters. Um he has still got his O and he has done a lot, like you say, for mental health causes across the UK and across the world. <sighs> but this entire situation is very exhausting. And hopefully, by Thursday's edition of Kempe, Friday's edition of Kempi's Combat Corner, we can get some sort of conclusion. So, yeah, unfortunately, we're going to end on that for, for this edition of Kempy's Combat Corner. But the uh, the next Kempy's Combat Corner is going to be on Friday and it is going to be building up to UFC 286 based at the O2 Arena in London. Adam.
2: Lads, thank you very much for some more great insights into uh, the world of combat sports. In just a few moments' time, we we'll are back to discuss and review the penultimate week of the 2023 Six Nations. Welcome back to episode 38 of Loaded Sport. We're now going to start talking about the penultimate week of the Six Nations that took place this past weekend, starting with Italy against Wales, the two worst teams, shall we say, in the Six Nations this year, fighting at the bottom of the leaderboard, at the table, if you will. Wales walked out 29-17 winners, but it looked for large parts of it it was going to be such a, a more convincing win, for Wales throughout uh, throughout the afternoon, but I think we all went for Italy to win that one as well.
0: No, you two went Wales, didn't you? I don't. I thought
1: I thought I was the only one that went for. Pretty Italy. sure I went. Pretty sure I went Wales on that one, mate.
2: To be honest, but I might be wrong. Well, I don't I'm, take the I'm, I'm, I am
0: sometimes. absolutely adamant that I was lone wolf on Italy,
2: and you two would have got it right. Okay, so Skim, we'll start with you then, mate. What, what's your uh, what's your thoughts on Italy not winning it?
0: Is what it isn't it the 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 usual uh, suspects for the wooden spoon for a reason. I just thought with some of the scrappy losses they would had this year they they might f- stand a chance of winning a game, but apparently lads it went to me. So what can I do? Got it wrong. You two didn't. Well done.
2: You don't have to say. Well according done to, to me, Adam, mate. to be fair. According yeah. to me, we all got it wrong. So it doesn't really bloody matter, does it? Uh, up next, yeah, one of if not the heaviest defeats in Six Nations history: England ten, France. 53 now if that's at the beginning of this tournament you're looking at england for the wooden spoon and france as clear winners to walk out of the six nations with the trophy aren't you
0: yeah and if you look at the odds we didn't <laughs> see that coming i know we predicted france and a lot of people would have assumed france would win but i'd like to know how many rugby fans england fans or otherwise were expecting that this weekend definitely not and we spoke at the start of the tournament about the recent coaching changes and it's an opportunity to see what the team's made of and what will work and what won't work heading into the World Cup in September in France. But I'll tell you what, whatever they planned on Saturday, which one of the things was dropping the captain you said, Aggie, on the, on the preview show, that ain't it. So, yeah, it's, uh, it might be a, an early exit in the World Cup in September, but that's uh, a little bit of a while away yet.
2: It's not really the result nor the performance that you want when next weekend you're going up against a side that if they beat you, walks away with not just the Six Nations Championship but completes the Grand Slam as Ireland won 22-7 against their nearest competitors in Scotland. So I think it's all but confirmed that Ireland are winners of the Six Nations. Um, all they need to do is uh, get over the line against England and I think that's. Uh, we'll talk more about it on the... Uh, on friday but i think it's pretty much a given isn't it that they're going to walk out winners considering how badly england played like you said skin the performance wasn't there and ireland getting that extra bit of confidence under their belt up against scotland it means now it's very much they've got one hand on the trophy haven't they
0: yeah definitely mate and uh we predicted that at the start of the tournament so right now i'm a little bit smug and i'm very happy but
2: still uh still a game to go good that's the best way to be. Uh, whilst you're talking about how you can be smug about winning um, and getting predictions correct, we'll move over to the darts quite smoothly, discussing about how I'm on quite the opposite side of the spectrum, so much that last week I actually said that Peter Wright was going to lose to Gerwin Price in the quarterfinals simply so Peter Wright could finally win a game. And what happened?
0: He won a game, mate. Well done. The uh, The forfeit that we put in place last week, if you were uh, going to dance in front of the Chesterfield Stadium, a la Peter Wright, full get-up, full outfit and hair, you don't have to worry about it doing You can sleep easy tonight and, and not worry about that one. But, yeah, he's finally won a game, but he's not competing this year for the title,
2: is he? He's not, which means I also don't have to worry about getting my head shaved into a mohawk, a tattoo of a snake on the side of my head and going out nightclubbing. So it's a win-win for me all around. But yeah, Peter Wright beat Gerwin Price 6-5. Uh, Van Gerwen beat Clayton 6-2. Aspinall beat Dolby 6-4. And Michael Smith beat Vandenberg 6-3 in the quarterfinals um, last week in Liverpool. You, of course, skin went for Michael Van Ger- Gerwen to win the lot. It looks at the moment... That he's the runaway leader, isn't it?
0: Yes, mate. He on uh, last Thursday in Liverpool. Little stat for you lads. He became the first ever player ever to win three consecutive nights in the Premier League. So, uh, wow. yeah, he's uh, he's doing well. I backed him because, as I said at the time, he likes the format. He's won the title many a time before. So, at that point, I didn't really have much reason to uh, to go against him. I know we all fortunately picked different people, so we've all got a different horse in the race. But so far, it looks like I'm going to get yet another dark predictions right. But a long, long, long way to go.
2: Certainly is, because, of course, he beat Peter Wright 6-1. Michael Smith beat Aspinall 6-2. And uh, a fixture, a head-to-head that we're not going to get sick of anytime soon. Van Gerwen up against Smith in the final. Van Gerwen walked out 6 for winners, it brings us on nicely to night seven, which takes place this Thursday in Nottingham. Uh, we do get to see Peter Wright go up against Michael Van Gerwen in the quarterfinals. I'm going to confidently say that that's going in favour of uh, Van Gerwen. But a great chance here, Kemp, to see your boy back in the final. Of course, you backed Gerwin Price. He's in the uh, half of the draw that has Clayton, Aspinall and Berg yeah,
1: and to be fair, pretty confident about Gwyn Price's chances uh, this week. Um, like you say, he went out disappointingly in the quarterfinal against Peter Wright. I think it's the first first victory that Peter Wright has got in the entire tournament it so is. far. So, yeah, it's um, it's not ideal. It wasn't an ideal night for for Gary Price, but it's like I've said before, Gwyn Price tends to either get get gone early. Or uh, or get at least to the final and potentially uh, do a bit of damage there. So as long as he can get through the quarterfinal, I'm pretty confident. But it's you know if if he meets Van Gogh in the in the final again, um the man's on fire, so anything can happen. So yeah, looking forward to it. it should be a great night of action, and uh, and fingers crossed. Gary and Price does it for me, and fingers crossed. Peter Wright does it does a little bit for you as well, mate. But I can't quite see it.
2: Thank you. I also can't see it. Just a quick question to you both, because the way we talk about these predictions when we look towards uh, the the upcoming night in the Darts Premier League at the moment, it seems to be there's three people that we have as more uh, frontrunners for the title this year. That's Gerwin Price, Michael Van Gerwin and Michael Smith. Any of those up against each other, we, we seem to think we you know it's going to be a tough battle, but anybody else goes up against those three and it's almost like it's a foregone conclusion that they're getting the win.
0: You've got to go with the form and they're the latter in form. Um, I'll give you my prediction now. I, I do think Michael Van Goeren wins yet again and becomes the first man to win four nights in a row. He's in great form at the moment. He's got the form over Michael Smith recently. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I've, I've tried to pick a couple of outsiders on occasion. I picked Aspinall last week. I picked Clayton the week before. But you know you have got to go with the form and, and those three at the minute are the top three players in the world and for good reason so at some point a, a lesser player will win but I've I've gone for sort of an outsider pick the last couple of weeks I'm going to go with the obvious one this week because I do think with the form Van Gogh and once he gets that fire behind him it can be very hard to stop him so yeah MVG for me this week
1: and maybe next week I'll go back to a little bit of an outsider bet. That's the difficulty with with darts, and you're absolutely, you are right in what you say. But at the same time, it feels as though to me, and, and Dawson may potentially agree that you know Van Gerwen, Smith, and and Gerwen Price are kind of the next level up on on everybody else in the Premier League at this moment in time. Um Michael Smith is is on a little bit of a hangover from the World Championship, which which happens, it does happen. We've seen it, and it was his first one. You know, he, he, he was talking about how he was gearing up to that first one his entire life. Has he got the sort of mindset where he's he's done everything that he wanted to achieve by winning that world championship and now his foot's off the gas? You know, you, you don't know. Um, Michael Van is an unstoppable train uh, and Gerwen Price is just a wild card so uh, anybody sort of below that you look at your Chris Do- Dobies and your Johnny Claytons and no disrespect, they are up there among the, the best dark players in the world but well, like Dawson says, you've got to go on form you've got to go on skill and you've got to go on, on recent results and past results and, and past results would show that they are the top three players in the world at this point in time and uh, you can't back against them for that reason
2: OK, so which one, assumably of those three, are you going to back to win night seven?
1: Yeah, I'm, I would love gowen Price to do it. Like I said, I can see him getting to the through the quarters, through the semis, and into the final. Unfortunately, I can see Marco van Gerwen making history. Uh, unfortunately for my prediction, unfortunately for Dawson's, and and winning his fourth in a row. So I think Marco van Gowen will uh, will make history this uh, this week in Nottingham and and go, his, go go for his fourth in a row.
2: Adam, what do you think? I'm going to be slightly different, naturally, and go for Michael Smith. I think they've had some excellent battles between Smith and Van Gerwen, and it just seems so unpredictable that each week when they face off against each other, it could easily be a different winner because they are so bloody good. And I think Michael Smith's just going to have the edge for a change. Like you said, Skin, Van Gerwen seems to have had his number lately, so I think Smith needs to, you know, just reset, go again, and know that he's got the talent and the ability to be able to take the game to Van Gerwen. And I think this week we might get to see that, and hopefully we do. And then he can dispatch of Gerwen Price in the final and and walk out with the win. Uh, So I'm going for Michael Smith. However, if you've learned anything from any of our predictions, back what Kemp's going for, as I found out by backing uh, Scotty Scheffler to win the Players' Championship this past weekend. And it just so happened he did. So, Kemp, when you gave me this prediction, he wasn't leading. I think he was third or fourth, which in golf terms still has a long way to go. Of course, people teeing off at different times. And he walked away with the win quite comfortably.
1: He did, and I thought he would. Um, Scotty Scheffler, with that victory, has now gone back to the top of the tree when it comes to the world rankings in uh, in, in, in golf um, on the PGA uh, circuit. Uh, yeah, Scotty Schaeffler won it very, very comfortably in the end. Uh, he finished on 17 under, five shots off second place. Who was Hatton, um, Hoag in third, tied third with with Victor Hovland, and then Matsuyama in fifth. Um, it was a very very good weekend of golf. I, I must admit, I didn't see all of it, but I saw uh, two out of the four days. I saw the first day and I saw the last day, which two two pretty good days to watch. To be fair, um, but but yeah, when I sort of mentioned to you there that. The, the cream often rise to the, to the top at Benwell's Grove. Um, it, it does tend to happen in, in golf tournaments. You look at the fair favourites and you look at the people that are kind of hovering around that, you know, top 10 positions. Um, and, and again, the the best players in the world do tend to kind of stretch that lead. And it it's all about consistency, you know. You can have a fantastic round of golf, and anybody can have a fantastic round of golf on, on any day. Um, you know, Lord knows, I've had some not not bad rounds of golf, but it's it's about getting that consistency. Um, and unfortunately, you know, there are a few players that, that struggled with that. I think it was Chasen Hadley who was leading after day what after day one. Um, he actually finished tied forty fourth on the tournament in the end, um, and he finished on three under, fourteen shots off to, off the lead. So it, it changes very quickly. You know, you have a couple of bad holes that your opponent has a couple of good holes and that's it before you know it, you're out of the running, but it's psychological. It's about consistency and it's about experience on the PGA tour as well. And, and Scotty Scheffler has got all of those things. He's uh, an experienced golfer now, but he's only 26 years of age, which is absolutely crazy to think about. But yeah, he's got all the physical attributes. He's got all the mental attributes. And, uh, and Scotty Scheffler is uh, quite rightly um, the number one golfer in the world right now. He's won now he's, he's won the, the players championship. Uh, he's won the masters the pga championship the us open the open and the players championship all in the past three years so a fantastic fantastic stretch for scottie schaefer on the back of on the back of covid and uh and he's done you proud there adam so uh you're very very welcome and uh and next time there's a golf tournament on which is the masters in a few weeks time a major one um let me know and we'll uh we'll see if we can pick out another winner for you buddy
2: thank you very much. We'll be back in just a few moments' time to discuss the start of the free agency. Teams can discuss with players now in the National Football League. Welcome back to episode 38 of Loaded Sport. It's now time to start discussing the latest in the National Football League as the free agency is open skin. This is one of your favourite times of uh, the football calendar, so uh, I'll I'll let you uh, take it away with the, what's the latest been going on. I'm, I'm assuming a lot of it surrounds what the Chicago Bears have been doing.
0: Yeah, do you want to start again, mate? Because you labelled it as one of my uh, favourite times of year, and I think I've made it clear enough now that it is the... Favorite time of year for me.
2: See, I thought draft was.
0: No, so you know, I thought
2: wildcard weekend was. Mm.
0: Right, no, right. Let's get this fucking straight. Right, no, I've I've said this enough times, and let me put it on record. Episode thirty-eight, you'll remember it. Right, free agency opening slash draft season is the best time of the year. Correct. Draft week is the best week of the year. Wildcard Card Weekend is
1: the best weekend of the year. Super Bowl Sunday is the best Sunday of the year. Are we clear? No, because all of those points and all of those reference points you've just mentioned to there are times. They are all times. But a weekend is a, bit... a time. weekend is a measurement of time. A day is a measurement of time. A night is a measurement of time. But they're different. Well, how are they?
0: Because one is a Sunday, one is a weekend, yeah. one is a week, mm-hmm. and one is a,
1: a period, a time, a... But all of those, all of, the of the those, so a week, a weekend, a week, all that shit, they're all periods of time. Yeah. What I'm <laughs> specifying, I'm Basically, specifying mate, what unit of time
2: you enjoy they amazing. rank as
0: the best at. Amazing, amazing. And you're just being silly if you don't
2: understand that. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, mate, you enjoy it all and that's all that bloody matters. Let's start that's talking it, about mate? everything that has been going on so far um, over the last couple of days then. We'll start with the the signings that the Chicago Bears have done straight out of the block with one as well, weren't they, Skin?
0: Bloody hell, yeah, legal tampering. So free agency in the in the new season hasn't officially started yet and they signed three players, two linebackers of, of great cal- uh, calibre uh, and a guard, so Ryan Paul's really attacking their needs pretty much straight away, alongside officially trading back on that number one pick, this this upcoming draft, so yeah, they've started hot they've got a lot of cap space to use, they've got a lot of draft capital to use, it needs spending and it looks like very early doors, that they're going to be spending it in the right way, so Tina, so, you know, if you're listening mate, I'm sure it's a, a very happy start for you and I'm sure that There's a little bit of blood in that penis uh, thinking about what might happen next based on what they've done in the first couple of hours when it's not even officially open yet. Lads, I keep saying it, and every time I bring it up, I'll say it again, but it's the bloody best time of year. It's absolute chaos. Those dominoes, as I keep saying, one team starts, another team starts, one player goes, so another team panics about the next best available player and all that kind of stuff. It's absolutely bloody brilliant, but... Kemp, you're settled in now for for running back and quarterback for this upcoming season. Yeah. Are you hoping to that they start dipping the toe in free agency, or does it look like a focus on the on the young incoming blood uh, this off season, ready to build on the foundation that you sat, set last year?
1: Uh, yeah, I think it'll be the latter rather than the former, to be quite honest with you. We're not we've not got a ridiculous amount of money to play with. Um Dave Ball and, and Shane have, have shown great ability to to pick um you know team ready players and and, and players yeah. that you can put straight into your system and you don't have to wait three or four years for them to come of age sort of thing. So, yeah, I think the focus will be once again on, on, on youth and I think focus will once again be getting as many draft picks as we possibly can and, and, and taking as many players in the draft as, as we possibly can to build upon what we've already built and and get this young fresh team, hopefully a little bit further than we did last season. So it's exciting being a Giants fan. I don't think free agency will be the most exciting time of the year for me personally, just because I think the Giants won't do that much. Um, but yeah, in every other aspect of, of of the NFL, it is a very exciting time. Dawson, the Patriots are going through a little bit of a transition period, would you say at the moment? Can you see them doing much in free agency, or do you think they'll wait until sort of draft weekend to uh, to make some moves? I can't be
0: fucking ask them, mate. They they're so outdated. It's time. I think it's time to bring them into the modern era, similar to what the Giants did in the last off season. I can, you can never disrespect the success that they've had, but at some point, you need to see what other teams are doing around you, how they sort of bring themselves into that modern game, and and ask how long what's worked for them will continue to work for them. It, this is such a huge season for Mac Jones. Last year was an absolute shit show. I've said it enough times on this podcast about how they were operating things off field was affecting him they've brought in bill o'brien who was there before and was very successful uh, and i'm interested to see what kind of development he can help max sort of get to this season so yeah picking 14th overall the, in the draft uh, I, I don't know mate in terms of free agency i'd love them to you know go after go after a, a d hop in a trade and really give uh, Mac that big weapon or a Jerry Judy who he played with at Alabama that kind of thing but that's wishful thinking mate I, I can't really see too much activity happening which is quite unfortunate when you see the excitement of what's happened already just over the first few hours of being open I, I can see Patriots sort of look at that if you remember that uh Spongebob meme where Squidward's looking through the the window at other people having fun I kind of feel yeah. like uh the, that's the Patriots for this off season, unfortunately. So yeah, I've got no hopes
1: whatsoever mm. for.
0: And you mentioned you know, the there, off season,
1: yeah. And you mentioned there that the Patriots may be doing things a little bit out of date. Maybe needs needs to freshen things up. Maybe you know things are things are getting a little bit stale um, in in Foxborough. Um, does that extend to the general manager slash head coach, uh, Bill Belichick? And yes, would you be open to a new regime? In, uh, in New England in the next few years or so?
0: Yes, um, especially from a GM role. We, we really need to knuckle down that. What are we doing as a franchise, as a hugely successful franchise, who have clearly dropped off, which was always going to happen after Braid We know that. But they had a, a failed head coach who, historically, is a defensive mind, has been a defensive coordinator as the offensive coordinator in a quarterback's second season, which we've said enough time is one of, if not the most important seasons in a quarterback's development. What kind of, there's nothing that you can say to justify that to me, even with hindsight and knowing how badly it went. I, I was saying at the start of the season, what the fuck are they doing? And again, Bill having this sort of head coach slash GM role, it's not working historically he's done terribly in the first round in the draft, which we know is sort of so important. Granted, for the most part, he's not picked until later in the first round with with all the success they've had, which is fair. But still, some of the picks have been have been comically bad over the years. Picking and kill Harry, it, I was screaming for AJ Brown. He was He was a massive Patriots fan. You look at some of the wide receivers that went after him, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, there's others in there as well. And and we took kill Harry, who was an absolute bust. Sony Michel, who, yes, all right, he was decent in college. But Nick Chubb was there. You know, it's just what you need from a good GM and what a lot of the league is doing now with bringing in these young GMs, this new blood, this new era, and they're really benefiting from it. Patriots are getting left behind because they're so old-fashioned in their approach and they're not playing to their strengths. They're not letting Bill focus on what he is good at in terms of influencing on the field and pick things that are in the control of the GM. He's just getting horribly wrong in terms of who he's got coaching the team, in terms of what draft picks and off season moves he's making. And it really worries me for this off season. The bills we know are as strong as anything and are set for years to come. Miami, are only getting stronger. And last year tra- traded for Tyreek Hill, and this year have traded for Jalen Ramsey, probably still the best quarter- corner back out and out in terms of pure talent and ability. Uh, you know, so they, they've picked in the last two seasons. They've traded. They've gone out and attacked and been aggressive and traded for two or, or the, the the best offensive and the best defensive playmakers in the league, if not top three, if not one hundred percent top five, Jets phenomenal draft last season garrett wilson offensive player of the year um sauce gardner defensive uh, rookie of the year sorry offensive rookie of the year Brees hall would have been in the running for offensive rookie in the, of the year if he, if he hadn't got injured phenomenal they've got they've got draft capital which they could potentially be using to bring in aaron Rodgers. so next season they're so far behind the work that the other teams have spent the last two, three years doing. It could potentially end up getting absolutely blown out. So, yeah, I know I've gone a little bit longer than what the, the question warranted, but that's my thoughts on where I'm at as as we approach the off-season and, and the new season.
1: And that's what we asked you for, mate. That's you know I, I appreciate you going into such detail and such depth about your your opinion and your passion for the Patriots because you know not so long ago you were a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. So it's nice that you have <laughs> got that passion back for the New England. Well, he's Patriots, retired now, ain't he? So I might as well go. Yeah, back. that's it. You might as well sort of go back. And if you want any uh, any um, advice on on sort of switching teams more than once, our good friend Ben Musgrove will be able to help. So Adam, well, I was going to as ask was, you, mate. You've got a Rams jersey. <laughs> <laughs> that color rush is sexy and you know it, yeah. Um, yeah, oh, 100%. Adam, as a Seahawks fan, you're in a strange position. You re signed Geno, he, he is the guy that you're going with. You've committed. Yes. Um, what do you want to see in free agency, if anything? Or do you think you'll do the same as Man and Dawson's team potentially will and, and save you know that cap space for the draft?
2: Uh, We're saving. I think Pete Carroll's already said that for the first week of free agency, he's not doing anything anyway because that's where most of the errors are made when people start rushing in and it becomes a bit of a frenzy. So he's trying to avoid anything like that. So I'm not expecting anything from us this week. Um, When we look back, I think there's potential that we're bringing Bobby Wagner back. I know... I've mentioned it before because Quandre Diggs has tweeted about it, but John Schneider's confirmed that he sat down and spoke with Wagner and explained what he'd be like with the Seahawks and vice versa if he was to return, that his role would be completely different. Naturally, I'd love to see Robbie Wagner back with us, um, especially with how it ended last time. We could probably do it right this time. Um, So linebacker, I think mainly we just need to focus on that defensive line there's not much in the uh the o-line in draft so if there's many options i like orlando brown likes him when he was with the ravens before he even went to uh to the chiefs so if he becomes available and the opportunity is there why not look at him um a bit more experience to to help protect gino but yeah i think it's just in the trenches on the offensive line on the defensive line we need to focus on and in, a, in next week and maybe in a couple of weeks' time, those opportunities will arise a bit better for us.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and Pete Carroll probably is is right to do so because, like you say, you know, everybody's like a kid in the candy shop. The free, the free agencies, the market's open. Let's go, let's sign. You know, all these gaps we've got, let's let's fill them as quickly as we possibly can, and and potentially overspend while we're doing it. Um, Adam, you might have wanted to bring this up anyway, and if you are going to bring this up, I apologize for jumping the gun. I'm supposing you're going to want to touch on Aaron Rodgers at some point, the the long-haired anti-vax elephant in the room.
2: Yeah, I I grew my hair like him, so yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm joking. No, absolutely, yeah, talking about his trade to the Jets, will it, won't it happen? Based upon tweets that are going through from uh, Jets players at the moment, it looks like there is some big news on the horizon. What they're gonna get, what they're gonna give up to get Aaron Rodgers, I have absolutely no idea. There's no confirmation that the trade's been done or any rumors as to exactly what the, um, the, the the trade is that they're giving up. I think it'll obviously be in draft. But what what would you class as an overpayment, or what would you class as a reasonable payment for the Jets to give up to take on Aaron Rodgers and his contract?
1: <sighs> it's difficult, isn't it? Because what what can Aaron Rodgers? I suppose offer you at this point in in time, for the past couple of years, you know they had a good run towards the back end of last season, um. But but before that, you know Aaron Rodgers has not been the Aaron Rodgers of old, and you, you actually look at the Aaron Rodgers of old. You know he's won one Super Bowl in his entire career, um, which is a lot more than a lot of quarterbacks you know win. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I've I've seen rumors that you know a second and a third. I've seen rumors that a first, I, I just don't know. It's the market is is for Aaron Rodgers. You know, what do you give up for a player like Aaron Rodgers? Do you go on his previous successful or do you go on his 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 recent form? It's it's such a difficult one to um, to say. But I do think personally, in answer to your question, I think if they do give up anything in the first round in the NFL draft, as is is sort of any any first round pick. Um, whether it be this year, next year, the year after, I, I think that's an overpayment. I think a first-round pick from the Jets to the Packers for Aaron Rodgers um, would be a little bit much. A second and a third, perhaps, is is is, is agreeable and, and maybe not too much. I don't know if I'm talking out of my arse here, but I do think a first would be a little bit too expensive. Dawson, thoughts? A lot
0: of it comes down to that absolutely atrocious contract. He, he's due around, what, £55 million whether Packers will take any of that, I'm really not sure. So, a lot of talks of if Rogers moves, the team that he goes to will want to restructure that contract to make it a little bit more team-friendly. I I really don't know. I think purely on talent, if you're a team that is potentially in win now, at first, you would give that up. If, If someone said, would you give up your first for a piece that will get you deep into the playoffs. There's not really going to be many teams that would say no to that if they've got the squad. And I do think Jets have about got that squad. Their defence is very, very good. They've got, as I mentioned earlier, they've got playmakers on defence, sorry, on offence. They've put a lot of work into their um, offensive line as well. So if they can stay injury-free or or not injury-free, because that's never going to happen, but if they can avoid sort of major injuries to major players, I do think a first is enough to give up for a player like Aaron Rodgers, who can give them that deep playoff run. So, yeah, do I think that that's right or or not? It's it's outweighed by that contract. But yeah, like I say, a team that is one or two pieces away from win now in that deep playoff run, you're gonna pay it and you can't miss that window.
2: Absolutely not. Lads, thank you very much for joining us Um joining me, in fact, to go through uh, the latest in the world of sport. Look forward to uh, previewing this weekend's action. And in regards to the NFL, of course, reviewing the latest in terms of free agency, because we know between now and when we're next year on Friday, there will be a hell of a lot that has gone off as it's all broken down within the last five hours or so. Um, it's been absolutely chaos. So uh, we'll try and keep up with it as best we can on our Loaded Sport Twitter page, which is Skin.
0: At Loaded Sport.
2: Well done. Um, yes, we'll be back on Friday. In the meantime, follow us on our social media pages, Twitter's just announced by Skin, and of course, uh, give us a uh, follow on Spotify as well, which is uh, Loaded Sport. But lads, thank you very much.
1: Oh...